Hey, good morning, faith family. I want to say hello to those in our live venue as well. If you have a Bible, make your way to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We're continuing this morning uh, in our series. Uh, in the month of September, we're going through the book of Philippians in a series that we've just called Commit. And we talked about last week uh, the fact that every area of your life demands a level of commitment, right? Do you remember this? If you want to be healthy, you've got to commit to eating right. If you want to do well in school, you've got to commit to study, commit to go to class. If you want to do well financially or at your job or in relationships or whatever area it is, you know that it requires a level of commitment. And so how much more when it comes to the most important thing in life, which is our walk with God, our relationship with Christ. In the same way, in fact, even maybe more so, we are called to be committed in a real way. We're to love the Lord our God with all our hearts. Jesus said to follow him, you had to take up a cross. That is, you have to die to all other loyalties, all other commitments to be his disciple. This thing of Christianity is a call of commitment to Christ and to his mission. And so we saw in chapter one last week that Paul is committed to what we called gospel ministry. That is, wherever he was, he saw it as an opportunity to serve Christ. If he was in prison, if he had enemies, even in the face of death, he said, well, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He saw his life because he was so committed to Jesus as an opportunity to always be serving God. Now, here in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to see something else as followers of Christ that we must commit to. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. If you are able to stand, please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. Remember, Paul is in a Roman prison, and he's writing these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is going to be a very convicting passage for us. It's even very intimidating to preach. Paul says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. In fact, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May the Lord teach us from his word. Pray with me. Father, thank you uh, for passages like this that help us understand 
what the Christian life is supposed to look like. Uh, we hear messages all the time in our culture, around us, uh, that influence us away from the gospel. Bring our minds and hearts back to how you've called us to live, what you've called us to commit to as followers of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that I pray and God's people said, amen. 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 Please be seated. I wish I could say that the only TV programs I watched when I was a kid, and we're talking late 70s, early 80s, right? I'm, I'm, I'm old, I know, right? I wish I could say that the only TV programs that I watched were things like Happy Days or the Brady Bunch, but, but I can't. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit something this morning. There was, there was another show. There was another show that, that captured the attention of us young Baptist boys. I still remember the slogan. In your satin tights, fighting for your rights, and the old red, white, and blue, yes, Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman, now the world is ready for you. It was the Baptist version of Baywatch, all right? I mean, it was... I, I was convinced, I was convinced Linda Carter would make the perfect pastor's wife, right? <laughs> Lassoing elders in a single cast. I mean, it was just, it was awesome. But listen, what I did not know when I was a kid seeing Wonder Woman, I didn't understand that what I was watching was actually a cultural icon of the gender wars, Wonder Woman was not the creation of a comic book writer. Wonder Woman was actually the creation of a psychologist, a man by the name of William Marston back in the 1940s. Marston was also, by the way, the inventor of the lie detector, which is why, do you remember the weapon that uh, Wonder Woman used? It was the lasso of truth. And the reason that he created this hero was because as he looked at the comic book industry, he thought it was too violent. It was too, you might say, male. So he crafted this hero from an all-female tribe in the Amazon where there was nothing but peace and tranquility which we all know is what you get when you get a whole bunch of women together, right? <laughs> Nothing but peace and tranquility. And I'm in big trouble. I'm in really big trouble. But out of that comes this superhero who fights for people's rights, who stands up for self. Wonder Woman was a symbol of individuality. And that was not new to the 1940s. In fact, Marston fashioned her after Greek mythology, the goddess Artemis. Artemis here was a goddess who did not want to marry, who only took the companionship of women. And listen, right here, so valued her individuality that she killed anybody that threatened it. Artemis so valued her individuality, she killed anybody that threatened it. 
Now, what in the world does that have to do with Philippians chapter 2? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, all right? You were wondering the same thing. Guess what was in the middle of the city of Philippi? A statue of Artemis. Wonder Woman. In fact, do you know what you could purchase in Philippi? Little Artemis action figures. I mean, they were all over the city. Little Wonder Woman. I promise this is my daughter's, not mine, okay? Just play along, all right? All right? And so everybody in Philippi had little Artemis dolls, which means the whole culture of Philippi was consumed with the idea of you've got to stand up for yourself. You've got to fight for your rights. You've got to be an individual. In fact, in the Greco-Roman world, humility and meekness were seen as weakness. And it's in that culture that Paul is writing these words. And the, the, the mindset of the culture of individuality and, and self and rights was starting, listen, was starting to impact the way Christians were interacting with one another. The, the Christians in this church were starting to act differently towards one another because of what the culture was saying about their rights and about their individuality. It's why Paul has to say things like, whoa, 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 don't look to your own interests, but the interests of others. It's why he has to say in chapter 2, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? Because they were grumbling and disputing. Read chapter 4, verse 2. He calls out two women who are not getting along and tells them to be at peace. Right here. The message of individuality was affecting their unity. And so Paul says, Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, look at it. Complete my joy. Do you want a happy pastor? Do you want a happy missionary? Complete my joy by being of, underline this, the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul tells them you've got to commit to unity, not individuality. It's not about self. It's sacrificing self for one another. And Philippians, listen, when, when this whole thing started, you got it. You understood it. Look back at chapter 1, how the book starts. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always and every prayer of mine. You are all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You understood, Philippians, that on the very first day, this was a partnership. This wasn't about you. It was about us together in one accord, in one mind. That word partnership, the word we use is the word fellowship. And, and, and unfortunately, we have no idea most of the time what that word actually means. We assume, oh, we had fellowship because we had coffee. 
or some type of food, or we have a close relationship, right? You need to have, but you know what biblical fellowship is? You know that the word for fellowship is koinonia. Listen to how the Bible uses the word koinonia in several places. Just follow along quickly and we'll make the point. Look at Romans chapter 15, verse 26. From Macedonia to Achaia have been pleased to make some koinonia, contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. 2 Corinthians 9, 13. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your koinonia, contribution for them and others. Philippians 4, verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into koinonia, partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. I need every eye and ear right here. Fellowship is not living for self. It's sacrificing self for something greater. It's a partnership. And man, this is so true. You could talk about marriage. You could talk about church relationships. You could talk about friendships. I mean, you could apply almost any relationship you want. Is it a partnership where I am sacrificing self for the good of the whole, or am I just about me? And we stand here today on the 15th anniversary of 9-11, and you want to talk about sacrifice. You want to talk about understanding mission of running right into danger for the sake of rescuing others. Paul says, man, Philippians, when this thing started on the very first day, you were in a partnership with the gospel. You were united with one another. But the problem is the culture of individuality of Artemis has started to influence your relationships, and I want you to get back to what matters. Be of one accord and the same mind. I have to ask, is that what we have here? Is that, is that what we, are we a group of people who have come together sacrificing self for the sake of the mission? That's unity. And that's what God has called us to commit to. Now you'd say, well, that'd be easy to do if I had more things in common with these people. You know, we got Viking fans and Packer fans and, you know, a few Bear fans. And, you know, there's just, I had to represent, right? I mean, or whatever. I mean, we got, we got all these different people from all these different backgrounds. If we only had more in common, then we could maybe be united. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. Look at verse 1. Paul now is going to give us the reason why they ought to be of full accord and of one mind. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, underline that, any comfort from love, underline that, any participation in the Spirit, underline that, and affection and sympathy, underline that. Let me give you four words. Here are four, follow me, common experiences that because of those common experiences provides all you need to be united together. Are you with me? Because of these four things, we have all that we need to be one with one another. Number one is this, a common salvation, the phrase in Christ. 
Brother, sister, if you know Jesus and I know Jesus, we have enough to be united. If all we have is Jesus in common, we have enough in common. You are in Christ, Philippians, and because you're in Christ, because you have a common salvation, you have all the resources you need to be one. But not only do you have a common salvation, you're in Christ, but there's also the comfort from love. Now, I think because that follows the phrase in Christ, he's talking about the love we've experienced in Christ. Here's the point. You have all the resources you need to love if you've experienced God's love. That's a great place for an amen right there. You have all the resources you need to love if you've experienced God's love. Why? Because right here, the love you're called to give is simply an overflow of the love you've already received. The love that you're called to give is simply an overflow of the love you've already received. What did Jesus tell his disciples? I want you to love as I have loved you. Don't tell me you don't have anything in common. You've got Christ in common, and you've got love in common. And not only that, you have a common participation. He says you have the participation in the Spirit. That is, you have the Spirit of God. Now, why would the Spirit of God be important for the sake of unity? I can only dabble in this quickly for the sake of time, but follow with me closely because this is like light bulb moment. Right here, this will change your marriage, this will change your friendships, and this would turn this church upside down. What does it mean to have the Spirit of God in terms of the context, textually, of unity? God, in three persons, has lived in unity for all of eternity. Now, if you're married, you should immediately be like, I'm taking notes right here. Like, how in the world can you live in relationship with somebody else for all of eternity and always be united? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. I'm going to give you three verses, but you got to hang close. And then I'm going to make the point. Ready? Three verses that just give us a glimpse to what we're talking about. And man, it's exciting. Warning, I may come off the stage. So first few rows, beware, right? John 16, verse 13, look at what it says. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, watch this. He, the spirit, will glorify me, Jesus, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, hold that. Look at the next verse. John 6.38, Jesus talking says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him, that is the Father, who sent me. Hold on to that one more. In fact, this is in our text this morning, Philippians 2, verse 9 and 10. Therefore God, the Father, has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Are you ready to connect the dots? Some of you already are. How has the Trinity, for all of eternity, lived in unity? Because the Spirit is all about Jesus, 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 glory to Jesus. And Jesus is all about the Father, the Father, the Father, do the will of the Father. And the Father is all about the Son, give Him a name, give Him gifts, a name that's above every name so that every knee will bow and worship the name of Jesus. The Trinity for all eternity has lived in unity because they've all been about giving glory to the other. 
They are submitted to one another for the glory of the other. Not for our glory, still the glory of God, but the glory of God in community known as the Trinity. Mind blown. No, 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 listen, listen, listen. That same spirit is in you. If you know Jesus, you have participated in the spirit, the spirit that for all eternity has known unity. But you won't see that in the world. You've got to look to God and see what relationships are really about. Is that, anybody here this morning, is that helpful? Like that was really theological, but could we just break that down practically? Like how would that look like in your marriage if what brought you joy wasn't getting what you want, but just honoring the other? And what would that look like to your, what would it look like in this church, if what gave us joy was honoring the other. You'd be in the Brian Cafe. No, you first. <laughs> no, no, seriously, you first. Right? That's the Spirit of God. You have a common salvation. You have a common reception. You have the love of God. You have the Spirit of God. And then he says, you know the grace of God. Any affection and sympathy. You know what it's like to be undeserving and receive that which you didn't deserve. Compassion or sympathy. I'll just summarize and then move on. Here's the point. Don't say you don't have anything in common. You have Jesus. You have love. God's love, you have the Spirit, and you have grace. You don't need anything else. To be one, to be of one mind and one accord now, does that not make verse 3 make sense now? He said the problem is we tend to jump to verse 3 to get really practical, and we don't understand the weight behind it that is verse 1 and 2. Now read verse 3 and see if it doesn't make any sense. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Now here's what we can say. In other words, act like God has always acted from eternity. Live out the participation of the Spirit, the love of God, the grace of God in your relationships towards one another. And is this not, hello, the number one relationship problem, the number one issue with relationships is considering our interest above the interest of others? Don't point, right? You're like, I'm so glad you're here, right? (laughs) I mean, listen to what James says. James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your wife is always wrong? No, that's not what it says. That's not what it says. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. Not physical murder. You kill relationally. 
You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. And Paul says, I want you to think differently. I want you to have a different mindset. I want you to view life and to view your situations in a different way, which is the mindset of considering the needs of others, honoring others. Now, we do this more than we realize. Um, So let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a situation or have you ever been in an event where you were not the most important person there? Okay. Please say yes. Please say yes. If your answer to that question is no, you have an ego so big, I cannot help you this morning, all right? All of us have been in a situation or at an event where you were not the most important person there. In fact, if you've ever been to a wedding, and I'm not talking about your wedding, I'm talking about somebody else's wedding, when you walked in, did you notice that nobody stood up? Do you notice that? Like nobody saw you walk in the back door. Oh, everybody stand, right? Because they're here. No, nobody stood for you. They're just like, oh, what's up, right? We're waiting for somebody else. Now, question, were you offended by that? Did you, did you get back out in the car later that afternoon with your spouse and say, those people were so rude. I walked into that wedding and nobody stood. Oh, gosh. And then I went to the reception and they didn't even let me sit at the center table. I mean, just what's wrong with it? No, you completely understood because your mindset in that moment was, this isn't for me. I'm not the most important person in the room. I'm not the one who's supposed to be honored here. Someone else is. So right here, you gladly took your place to honor someone else. Or what about if you like uh, invite a guest over uh, to, your, to your home or you invite your boss or, I don't know, maybe you invite the pastor. It's a good, great idea, right? And, and what do you do? You get like all the best, uh, you know, silverware out. You make the best meal. You tell the kids what they can and cannot say. You hide the beer. The pastor's here, that kind of thing, you know? I mean, man, you get everything just how it's supposed to be. Why? Why? Because you want to honor that guest. Because you know in that moment, you're not the most important person in the room. You have a mindset in that moment that considers others. Let me give you one more. Parents, have you ever done anything that considered the needs of your children more than your own? Like every day? And the best example of this is Lorraine Allard. Lorraine was 33 years old, diagnosed with liver cancer, told that she did not have long to live at all, and she needed treatment immediately if she had any chance of surviving. The problem was she's four months pregnant. And the doctors tell her, you're going to have to terminate the baby in order to get on treatment so that you can live. And Lorraine refused. Her baby, Liam, was born 15 weeks premature. Eight weeks before she died. At her funeral, this is what her husband said. Quote, she knew all too well she didn't have long to live. Interesting word choice here. So she put Liam's life before her own. It's a mindset. 
that's greater than motherhood. It's servanthood. It's humility that pursues unity over individuality. And now the question would be this. How would we get that mindset? How in the world can we live in this culture that's a lot like Philippi? How could we live in this culture and have this mindset when everybody else tells us the opposite? You're not going to be surprised by this answer. By consistently going back to the cross. Because what comes next in the text? Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Well, what do we know about Christ Jesus? Verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, by being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You say, How could I serve so low? It's look how low Jesus went for you. That's the only way you get this mindset. And here's what Jesus did. I'll do it quickly. He went from divinity. He was in the form of God. That word there in the Greek is the idea of essence. He was in the essence of God, meaning Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is fully God. And do you know how low he went? He went from divinity to humanity. He not only had the form of God, he took on the form of man. He is fully God and fully man. I mean, talk about coming low. God to man, the incarnation, God becoming in the flesh. But Jesus goes even lower than that. He doesn't just stop with humanity. He goes to the next level of slavery. He takes on the form of a what? Servant. Imagine the most important person in the room, who, by the way, is God in the flesh washing your feet. That's what slaves do. That's what servants do in biblical times. And yet there is Jesus with the bowl washing the disciples' feet. But he even goes even lower than that. From divinity to humanity, from humanity to slavery, and from slavery to mortality. He dies. But he doesn't just die any death. He dies even death on the cross. So how low will you go? I mean, the point Paul is making is profound. I mean, you can't argue against it. How in the world are you going to serve yourself in marriage in light of the cross? Are you going to come to this church and make this church about you in light of Jesus? Absolutely not. In light of Jesus, when we have that mindset, we pursue unity more than individuality. Let me give you two things quickly out of that that I think are helpful for any relationship that you're in, and then we're going to do something a little unique this morning than how we normally do it. Two practical implications for our relationships out of the servanthood of Jesus. Here's the first one. Is if you want unity in your relationships, 
You've got to learn not to take advantage of your position. You have to learn not to take advantage of your position. Here, here's, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. That is something to take advantage of. Jesus didn't walk in the restaurant and say, hey, I get the best seat. Jesus didn't walk up to the line at you know, an amusement park and say, oh, I'm Jesus, I'm cutting, all right? Jesus didn't look at the Pharisees and say, I don't know if you know this, but I'm kind of a big deal, all right? People know me, right? Jesus doesn't walk around taking advantage of his status, of his position, even though he's the most important person in the room. Now, what does this mean relationally? It means you won't say things like this, but I make all the money. But I've been at the church longer. But you know, that group gives more. Don't you understand? I'm the husband or I'm the wife. No, no, no. When unity is more important than individuality, you don't take advantage of your position. It is your position, rightly so, but you don't use it to manipulate anybody. Jesus, even though he is equal with the Father, does not use that as an advantage, but he empties himself and becomes a servant. Here's the second thing for our relationships is this, and I need to explain it for just a moment. Jesus gave up what he deserved to gain what he desired. Think about this, because one of the biggest relationship issues is I'm not getting what I deserve. But Jesus gave up what he deserved to get what he desired. Here's what I mean by that statement, so listen closely. Would you not agree that Jesus deserved glory and honor and praise and worship? You better believe he does. And justice. But what he got was a cross. And he gladly took the cross rather than the praise of men while on earth so that man and God could be reconciled. Let me put it this way, everybody right here. Jesus chose humiliation to get reconciliation. Jesus gladly set aside what he deserved to get in order to accomplish what the Father had sent him to do, which was unity between God and man. So here's the practical question. Are you listening? What do you want in your marriage, a healthy marriage or to get what you deserve? What do you, do you want a healthy church or do you want to get what you deserve? Do you want a healthy friendship or do you want to get what you deserve? You see, you're not going to get both if you want unity. And Jesus gladly gives up what was rightfully his to get what the Father had sent him to do. Here's the text this morning and then we're going to, we're going to do an application together. The text is this. You've been influenced by a culture of individuality, Philippians. Artemis is right there in the city. And that started to impact the way you act towards one another. Individuality has affected your unity. So I want you to be of one accord in light of all that you've experienced together. That should cause you to live differently like in humility because in light of what Jesus did, how could you have a different mindset than that? 
Are you with me? Is that, is that the text? Okay, that's the text. And here's how we're going to apply it. I'm going to call us now uh, to an ordinance that Jesus gave us to remind us of his sacrificial death and our unity with one another. We're going to participate in communion in the Lord's Supper. Now, here's what I want you to do. Uh, in just a moment when the elements come around, as you look at these elements, and you're going to hold them until we partake together as a sign of unity, but as you look at the broken body represented in the, in the bread, as you look at the, the poured out blood, the death represented in the juice, you're going to be reminded of what Christ did, Philippians 2, to reconcile you to God. But you're also, in light of that, going to start asking some questions. Based on what Jesus did for me, how am I to live with others? What are the implications of the cross in my unity in the relationships that God has given me. Now listen very closely. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, we graciously ask you this morning not to participate. This ordinance is only for those who have put their faith in Jesus and are following Christ. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, we are so glad you're here. Uh, but we respectfully ask you to let these elements pass. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to participate. Hold on to the elements in just a moment. We will together partake as a sign of our unity. May I ask our, our ushers to come and to serve us? As Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, which is what's represented in the elements that you have before you, he prays. He prays to the Father, and this is what he prays for. In John chapter 17, verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also might be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Faith family, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is honored through our unity. And so this morning we are reminded of what Christ has done so that we could be one with the Father. We're also reminded in light of what he's done, how we are to be one together. And so as a commitment, as a symbol of our commitment to Jesus Christ and our commitment to one another as followers of Christ, take and eat. And in the same way, with the cup representing the death of our Savior, as a symbol of our commitment to Jesus, and as a symbol of our commitment to one another to be united in Him, take and drink. If you will hold the cup just for a moment. Faith family, you're, you're about to leave in just a couple moments and you're going to walk back out into a culture that's all too much like Philippi. You see, Philippi had cultural icons that was all about individuality. And so do we. So do we. But I want to remind us this morning that we have committed our lives 
to a different kind of hero. Not one who came to stand up for his rights, but one who came to lay down his rights so that we could be right with God. And so I charge you, faith family, in the word of God this morning, in light of his humility, let us commit to unity. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. I know it runs against everything we hear. And yet, it is in the sacrifice of self for the good of the other that we image you. It is in unity that we reflect the glory of the Trinity. Help us just in practical ways as a faith family, as other families and relationships and marriages represented here this morning, that we would really think about what this looks like lived out as we daily seek to live in light of the cross. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.